Welcome to another episode of Mama Earth Talk. I'm your host, Maris Canal. Realizing just how much waste we generate on a daily basis, I've set a personal goal not only to reduce, reuse, and recycle, but to also educate the world about sustainability and how each of us can help preserve our beautiful planet. Thanks for listening. Let's dig in. Crazy birds, I hope y'all all are doing well wherever it is that you're listening to this episode from. I have been doing a bit of studying as you probably listened from the previous episodes. I started uh, studying two courses and yeah, it's been pretty full on. So if you don't see me on socials as much, please do send messages. I will try and respond as quick as I can. But yeah, a life has happened And I'm just absolutely loving learning more about sustainability and finding new and interesting ways how, you know, we can actually do our part and how as a, you know, someone that's is creative and design, how I can actually design a more sustainable future. So looking forward to actually sharing more of that with you guys. But today's podcast, we are revisiting a topic where we actually kicked off the podcast with in 2018, back way, way back. If there's anyone that's been listening since then, please let me know. We had Natalie Banks from ASRAC and she talked about sharks. They like kind of role that they play in the ecosystem. And since then, their role in the ecosystem has not changed. They are still really, really important in our ecosystem but their numbers has drastically declined. And therefore, I thought today's guest will be a really special treat to kind of, you know, dig deep in and also look at another aspect from sharks and what sharks are used for. Now, our guest today is an animal activist, educator, a TEDx speaker, and known by many as the Shark Lady. She's the executive director of the Hong Kong Shark Foundation, where she has reached out to over 10,800 students to encourage them to actually say no to shark fin soup. Now, during this episode, we take a look at the shark fin industry from what a bowl of shark fin soup would cost you to what that bowl of shark fin soup is costing the environment. Andrea also gives us some great tips that we can actually do to help out sharks and make sure they are around for future generations. Crazy birds, without any further ado, I would like to welcome Andrea Ritchie. Thank you, Mariska. I'm so excited to be here today. You're most welcome. And you've got quite an interesting journey. Can you kind of start us off with like, how did your sustainable journey actually started? Well, I have been in Hong Kong now for 32 years. I originally came here to work for a logistics company because I had been a maritime lawyer before. Ended up working for a Wall Street law firm as a corporate communications person. And then I went to become a legal recruiter This was till 2015. The economy was good and people were making great money. And I unfortunately lost my father 
in 2015. And I thought, hmm, you know, I'm there's a lot of money out there and people are making money, but they're not really happy. And I decided I would give back and I would start doing a little volunteering. And I volunteered for three or four different charities. And then I decided that one of the charities I had done some work for, which was Hong Kong Shark Foundation, I realized that the sharks were really at great risk and the sharks need our help. And so I started to volunteer full time. I quit my corporate job and I started to volunteer and I did that for three years as a volunteer. And then in 2018, 2019, I became the executive director. So I've been doing that ever since and it's been fantastic. Oh, wow. So can you tell us a little bit more about like what exactly is the Hong Kong Shark Foundation? We are a Hong Kong charity. We raise awareness about shark conservation and educate people to say no to shark fin soup and all shark products. So we uh, have three different kinds of campaigns. One is an education campaign called the Shark Ambassador Education Program. One is a corporate social responsibility, CSR program, which we call the shark-free company, where companies can become shark-free and their employees don't eat shark fin soup at company banquets type of thing. And then thirdly, we have a shark-free wedding campaign, which has been a little quiet since Hong Kong has been in lockdown for three years. So uh, a little hard to have a wedding when you're not allowed to have more than two people eating at a table. Oh, wow. That's still still hard to like imagine, you know, but you've just like kind of lightly touched on the shark fin soup. It really seems like it's such a popular delicacy. Just to put into perspective, what would a bowl of shark fin soup cost if someone wants to order it at a restaurant, for example? Well, that's a great question because it varies greatly depending on what restaurant you are at, it could be as little as 30, um, I'll say US dollars, 30 US dollars, right? Up to, it could be 200 US dollars. It's not sold really by the bowl. The restaurant buys it by the kilo or the catty. And so two catties is like a kilo basically. So it's, let's just think in terms of kilo. So it can be anywhere from 500 US dollars a kilo to 2000 US dollars per kilo. And I have seen personally about $2,200 per kilo. And then it's put into, you know, it's, it's sold dry and bleached and then it's sold to the restaurant, and then the restaurant reconstitutes it in hot water. So then the chef is, you know, it's up to the chef and the restaurant, depending on the level of, you know, how how expensive and luxurious this restaurant is, right? They, how much shark they put into, shark fin they put into each bowl, because they may put in a lot, they may put in a little, it, de- it depends on how much they're paying for this fin and what is the level of, of luxury in the restaurant. Why would people want to eat this shark fin soup? For me, it sounds like ridiculous because obviously it costs a lot. And I think back in the day when it was still like a really a delicacy, you know, it's something that you only had at a wedding or it's something that, you know, you only had at 
such a super, super special occasion. But now it seems like, you know, with a lot of people getting more wealthier and now, you know, something that was out of reach years ago, all of a sudden it's something that I can have maybe whenever I go to a fancy restaurant, I can have it now. So it's definitely impacted the amount of soup that is sold there as well. But why, again, why would you eat that? Like, is it, does it have health benefits? Is it delicious? Like, yeah. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Shark fin soup started out way over a thousand years ago in the Song Dynasty when a poet named Mr. Mei Yao Chen in China wrote this poem about shark fin soup. And the emperor saw this poem and started to serve shark fin soup at the palace. And then it became a status symbol what we call conspicuous consumption. And conspicuous consumption means you eat something to show off to your friends, basically, to get what we call face. So that's how it got its, you know, its start. And then it, a thousand years later, in the 80s, the 70s, 80s, it really became a status symbol. The dried seafood market here, which is famous, you know, 50% of the global shark fin trade comes through Hong Kong. And that dry seafood market goes back as far as 1860. But the market that we know is today that sells millions of shark fins every day, that is about 50 years old. And so people were told that if you ate shark fin soup at a family banquet or a wedding or a corporate event, it would be, you know, kind of good luck and it would be, it is healthy for you and it's, it's expensive. So it's a status symbol. And all of these things are not true. There's no health benefit at all. The taste comes from the broth that the chef makes, not from the shark fin. The shark fin is actually cartilage. You, Mariska, have cartilage in, all over your body, but like your nose and your ear. Are You know, this is typical. And so this is the same thing that you're eating. There's no health benefit. It's really all about status. And it's buying the most expensive thing. And there are kind of four items that are really expensive, seafood items. We call it balsam chito in Cantonese. And it's abalone. It's sea cucumber, which is not a cucumber at all. In fact, it is a sea slug. There is shark fin and there is fish maw, M-A-W, maw. And that maw is actually a bladder or sometimes it's the stomach. Because you see, sharks are really cool. They do not have a bladder. And a bladder is what keeps fish buoyant. But because a shark doesn't have a bladder, what keeps them buoyant is their very oily livers. So the fish bladder is something that considered a delicacy. They dry it. They blow it up. They dry it. You can see it all over the streets. So it's really status. It's really about buying something that's expensive and sort of showing off to your friends. And it's sad, you know. And so we're really into educating so that people make cognitive behavior changes. And um, one of those is, you know, educating people that there's no taste in it, that there's no health benefits in it. I've seen on the box of squalene, which comes from shark liver oil, it says cures cancer, anti-fatigue, anti-aging. You know, I'd be taking that every day if that were true, but it's not. Oh, wow. That's really sad. And we kind of just like went into the cost from us, how much it costs for a bowl of soup. But, you know, what is the other cost involved in this? Like from the sharks, like how much is this actually costing our sharks to 
have this delicacy on a menu? Like how many sharks are currently killed every year? Can you tell us a little bit more about that? This number is pretty shocking, actually. And there are different numbers that are utilized because it's very hard to count sharks. Sharks, unlike elephants, terrestrial animals, we can't take a drone up and count them. And they don't move slowly. They, they swim very quickly. And they need to swim far, you know, like they'll swim from Perth to South Africa type of thing, right? I mean, they, they go a long way. So the best estimates we have are around 100 million killed every year just for their fins. But what has been happening is people are no longer just eating the fins. Fins were basically cut off and sent to Asia where they were consumed as shark fin soup. But now they're eating the shark for their liver. Maybe your grandparents, maybe your grandmother would tell you to have a spoonful of cod liver oil every year, every day for your health. That was something very common, but now the cod has been overfished. It's too expensive and shark is now being substituted. So for example, squalene supplements are very common where you just take a couple supplements just like cod liver oil or salmon oil, right? Then you have food. Australia is a great example. You've probably had fish and chips in Australia and you've probably found that it was flake, but in fact, flake is shark. Oh, wow. Most people, well, a lot of people, I would say, don't realize that the flake they're eating is actually a, a fake name given to, to shark meat. And it's just become acceptable. New Zealand, they call it lemon fish. In the UK, they call it rock salmon. There are many names that they have, but like in the UK, you know, which is sort of the, the birthplace of fish and chips, they did a survey and found 10 out of 10 fish and chip shops in London were actually selling shark meat, but people didn't know. Yeah, that's shocking. Well, I don't eat <laughs> fish like that's one it's like seafood is one of the things that I've just like said no you know I do occasionally still eat meat but yeah I like seafood it's yeah it's just one of those things which I'm like mm, no <laughs> no thanks it's like you said, you know, we we don't really know how many sharks there is. And even from the Great Whites, at one point there was around 2,000. And then I think they, they realized that, oh, you know, we've counted in South Africa, we've counted in Australia. We, we might have been counting the same sharks. So that number of 2,000 might only be a thousand or even less. So we don't, we don't really know how much it is, but it is definitely becoming an issue. And Especially here, you know, in Australia, where they still have the culling program as well, which is devastating to say the least. But, you know, it's it's really hard. I mean, there there has probably been countries that is kind of stepping up and saying, hey, let's do something to protect the species. And do you find, especially just thinking about the shark fin soup, like is there in certain countries where it's like, this is illegal, we will not serve shark fin soup, or is that not yet the case? To the best of my knowledge, that's not yet the case. I do know in the U.S. that most restaurants will not blatantly sell it to you or put it on the menu, sim similar in Hong Kong. But if you ask for it, they'll give it to you. Same in London. Legally, trying to stop shark finning is a very 
difficult and complex situation. In Hong Kong, for example, it is not illegal to have shark fin soup. Buying, selling, possessing shark fins, not illegal. That's why we're the hub, global hub for sharks. If you serve it in a restaurant, it's not against the law, usually. And a lot of places, including Australia, in fact, Western Australia and Perth, they just changed the law on February 1st and said, you no longer can fin a shark out at sea and bring the fins in. You have to bring the whole shark in and fin it there. Well, people were lauding this as a great win for sharks, but sorry, I don't see how killing it in, you know, and the whole shark and bringing it in is a win for sharks. I don't think sharks would agree with <laughs> it's, that. It's still dying in the end of the day. Yes. And so, you know, I, it's a cruel and unsustainable practice. I can't say that enough. And obviously the sharks are there for a reason. You know, they play such a massive role in our ecosystem and the oceans are the lungs of, you know, the planet. It's really every second breath that we take is because of a healthy ocean. So if we remove the sharks, it has such repercussions that we can't even comprehend at this stage. But what role would you say the sharks actually play in our current ecosystem? Well, I tell this to my students you know, almost every day. I mean, every year we teach about 10,000 students here in Hong Kong. Sharks are apex predators, and they are super important to our ecosystem. They help maintain a healthy marine ecosystem, and they keep prey populations healthy. We call them the cleaners of the ocean because they're, uh, they're not really aggressively going after fish. They're looking for the weak and the sick. And they're culling those that are, you know, to keep the population healthy. So when these cleaners are out there, when we don't have them, it, it, I think it can have uh, devastating effects on that delicate marine ecosystem. You know, they balance the food web. They keep habitats healthy. They regu regulate carbon cycle, so important. I, I know that Dr. Sylvia Earle was talking about blue carbon before when you did a talk with her last year. And it is so important that we have those apex predators because like a Jenga game, if you've ever played that wooden Jenga game, where if you pull the wrong piece out, the whole Jenga tower collapses. And that, to me, is a great a metaphor for what is happening now to the marine ecosystem. And we are just destroying sharks. And it is not a sustainable practice. Yeah. And I mean, if they if they were supposed to, like, keep, you know, numbers intact with other species as well, we can see, you know, as soon as they they are removed, we'll see other species that is totally, you know, overeaten or things like that that's happening, especially with different plankton and things. If there was fish that would eat that, that obviously the sharks would eat that fish, then we're going to see, you know, less of those items growing and more and bigger fish. So it's really hard, you know, not to realize this is an issue, like we need to be doing more. And I mean, the like you said, 100 million sharks 
that, you know, gets caught for, for their fins. But there's also all of the bycatch. So every time that when, you know, you buy that can of tuna or, you know, you do have that fish, you don't know how many sharks has actually died in the bycatch. And also you, a lot of people don't know about the bycatch. There's a lot more like turtles, dolphins, you know, you name it. They are part of the bycatch. They're not what they actually wanted to caught, but they they were still caught and they still lost their lives due to that fishing expedition. Yeah, it just seems that it's really an issue. And I mean, I feel that in some countries they are trying to make it harder or, you know, try to put some laws in, but is there in any country, is it illegal in any countries at the moment to actually kill sharks? Well, sadly, most of the world doesn't have any laws protecting sharks, especially from shark finning. But there are a few places. In 2009, Palau, which is in Micronesia, Palau came up with a shark sanctuary and that was the size of that was about 600,000 square kilometers and basically the size of France. And then the Maldives in 2010 created a shark sanctuary. So that's really big on, you know, tourism is a big part of shark safety. The University of Miami in 2017 came out with a survey or a research paper that they did and they found that a live shark is worth 200 times more than a dead shark so in the trophy hunting shark catching industry the industry was worth about 1 million us but to the scuba diving tourism eco ecology conservation that kind of industry it's worth about 220 million so that contrast is huge. And you have places like Palau where that's the Mecca for divers. And, you know, I'm not a diver. I'm not a marine biologist. I am a concerned citizen that decided to quit my job and try to raise awareness about shark conservation. Citizens like us, citizen scientists like us, right? We're not specialists, but we're activists and we're concerned about the damage that is being done to our planet, you know, and to our sharks and, of course, to our planet. But so we've got Palau, Maldives, Guam sort of joined in with that. Honduras actually has an area. Bahamas has some shark sanctuary areas. But, you know, sharks don't know that when they're in the sanctuary area and when they're not. Right. And so we know that, for example, outside of the Cocos Islands and in the Galapagos, Cocos Islands being in Costa Rica and the Galapagos, they um, have a sanctuary area and the fishing fleets that come from Taiwan and China know where the ring of the shark sanctuary is. And they sit there and wait for the sharks to come over the GPS sort of where you can they can use their GPS tracking. Right. So it's not a perfect even though it's a sanctuary, it, it, you can't keep them boxed in. You, know, you can't keep them held in like in a tank. So it is difficult. The U.S. did just change. They just passed a law called the Shark Fin Sales Elimination Act. And that just passed in December of 2022 which is good because that law, which we hope other countries will follow, that law says it bans the buying, the selling, the possession, and the transport of shark fins. 
which is great. Yeah, that's amazing. So you won't legally, you won't be able to find that in a restaurant then in the U.S. So that's the idea, right? But remember, that's just passed. So it's one thing to have a law. It's another thing to have enforcement of that. And I think you mentioned commercial overfishing, which is one of the, and bycatch, which is one of the biggest problems we have with our population dropping so, so quickly. But the movie Seaspiracy, some people may have seen this before, which is on Netflix, for example, it talks about commercial overfishing and tuna. And Rob Stewart, who unfortunately passed away in 2017, Rob Stewart made several excellent movies, and one of them was Shark Water Extinction, Shark Water and Shark Water Extinction. And he talks about pet food in there, and they test pet food because pet food uses scrap fish in all their pet food products, wet pet food and dry. What they found was that the fishing, where they're cutting off the fins and uh, the fisheries, what they were doing is selling the scrap fish and shark meat, shark scraps to the pet food. So in shark water extinction movie, they did a DNA test of the cat food and they found every single one had cat food, had shark in it. Oh, wow. That's shocking. I'm, I'm definitely going to look into what we're feeding our dog. <laughs> But the problem is uh, the labels do not clearly state shark, right? They'll just say fish. Well, I mean, if you go to the local fish and chips shop and you want to just buy fish and chips, you don't know if you're eating shark or not. So that's really shocking. It's so scary to actually see that. And I think when it when it also comes to sharks, a lot of people feel their life's in danger every time they go into the ocean because, you know, we see movies like Jaws and, you know, these massive sharks. And here, I think it was any shark that's over three meter, they can kind of cull as well, you know, to prevent any shark attacks. And I'm like, that happens so not very often. It's very seldom that you would find a shark attack, but we kill these sharks so often so what, what do you feel like with a lot of the students and education that you guys have been doing, do you feel that are people scared of it? Has their perception changed about sharks? What is your feedback on that? That's an excellent point that you raise about Jaws. For example, Peter Benchley, who wrote the book and then was part of the movie, that movie when it came out and that book, I think really put the fear of God in a lot of people. I know growing up in the U.S., that just made me even, you know, you go to the lake and you would think, oh, right, what's underneath the water? So an interesting fact is that when Peter Benchley in his later years realized the fear that his book had put into people and the fear of sharks, Actually, he became an, a shark advocate, a shark conservationist to reverse the fear, you know, the fear that people had and try to educate them. More people, I always tell my students, are killed by selfies every year than they are by shark attacks. Sharks don't like to eat humans. They love fat seals and turtles and, you know, fish. So when the bites occur, it's because, you know, they're testing you. Are you yummy or not? Kind of thing. It's unfortunate. It does happen. Unfortunately, a, a surfer in a wetsuit can look very much like a seal from 50 meters below. And sharks have been around for 400 million years. 
that's 200 million years longer than dinosaurs. So it is kind of their ocean and we're just swimming in it, right? But here in Hong Kong, it's interesting. We had sharks for years. And in fact, in about 1991, 92, we had six people who were swimming here killed by sharks. As a result of that, we hired an Australian guy named Vic Heisloff to come out from Australia and to be like a crocodile Dundee, to come out and be a shark killer. And he found a shark, held it up and said, I've got it, and left. And there was never any evidence in it, the shark's stomach or anything. But as a result of overfishing in our country here, we now have no more sharks. But the government put up shark nets at all the big public beaches. And so that's one of the things I always ask my students, do you think we have sharks here? And they all say pretty much 90% will say yes, and we don't. We haven't had sharks here in years. And occasionally you'll have a, a solo shark that will come in. But what's also happened is as a result of overfishing, there's no more food for the sharks to eat. There's no fish for the sharks to eat. And so that's part of the knock-on effect of when you remove one animal from the ecosystem, right, from the the food chain has a knock-on effect. And it's pretty sad. So we have shark nets in Hong Kong. We have a great fear of sharks, but we don't have any sharks. Yeah, and I feel with those, those shark nets, you know, it's really interesting if you ask people actually, how does these shark nets work? Because it's not literally a net that, you know, is from the top to the bottom. No one can go through underneath. They actually can get in easily and they struggle to get out. So once they're in, it's so hard for them to get out. And again, the amount of bycatch kind of that they get from the shark nets, it's crazy because, you know, so many dolphins and again, turtles that just get stuck there. And, you know, the sharks still sometimes go in and out or they come in and they can't get out. So I think, you know, people should also understand, get a better understanding of how it works and that it's actually more there as a, I would say, not really protecting you from the sharks, but making you feel like you are protected. So yeah, it's, it kind of gives you that phantom effect, you know, you know, it's there, you, you're going to be safe because, you know, the shark nets, but in actual fact, you know, they can be sharks or, you know, the sharks will actually be, and all of the animals will be in a better situation if there was not none of these nets or like drum lines or anything that's actually baiting them to come. <laughs> so there's still, there's, there's just so much that I feel that, that we can do in improving and to make sure that, you know, the sharks actually survive. And I mean, I once saw a, a shark closely for the first time. And like, you know, that moment when, when you actually see that for me, it was such a peaceful experience because I felt like, you know, wow, this is such a magnificent animal or species, you know, it's so, so incredible. And yes, it was kind of, you know, fearful <laughs> when you see their teeth and you see that, but then you realize, you know, they, they're not here for me. So I think, you know, a lot of people 
when they kind of have these experiences to just like whether it is that you go diving or snorkeling. And I mean, not all, every shark's a great white with massive teeth. I mean, in the Maldives, they had like the white tip, ach, the black tip uh, reef sharks, which was beautiful. And, and I mean, sometimes you would see them while you were snorkeling and they're not going to come to you and bite you. And I think that's the perception that a lot of people have. All sharks will will do that. And in South Africa, we had the great white obviously is can be very dangerous. And and also they they don't, they're not as big as they used to be. I mean, the biggest one that they uh, saw a couple of years ago was about seven meters. And they said that was the biggest one that they've seen in, in some time because they don't, they don't get that big anymore because they get fished or, you know, caught or it becomes really, really hard, you know, for, for them to actually survive. And I mean, now we've, we've taken out all of these sharks in our ocean. Like how long does it actually take for them to reproduce? So education is really important. You just brought up the point that the sharks were only getting to like seven meters and that would probably still be considered, you know, fairly young shark. But we have to remember that sharks are really unique. They are low and slow producers. And so they don't reach sexual maturity until eight to 15 years. So if you get a shark that's young, it's a juvenile, right? It may look big, but it's a juvenile. It's not reproducing. Then it's not continuing. Unlike fish, which produce a lot, sharks produce fewer. And their gestation is like six months to say two years. The Greenland shark, which is the oldest living shark that we know of, which can live to over 500 years, the female doesn't become sexually mature until she's 120 years. So if you can, so if you can imagine being 120 years old and having your first child, that would be shark babies are called pups. So pups are born in three different ways for sharks. You can have a live birth like a dolphin. You can have eggs in the mummy's tummy. Sharks are born with teeth. And so they have to bite their way out of the egg. And when they bite their way out, they might eat the sibling next to them, actually. So it can be quite competitive. And thirdly, sharks can be born in the egg, but then the egg is, is placed in, say, the rocks or the sand bed. So they're so unique, you know, over 500 species, right? And in Hong Kong, for example, only 12 species of shark are protected by law under the United Nations CITES. And so we need to do more. But because they're slow and low reproducers, uh, if we catch them in these big nets, huge gill nets or long lines, and if they're part of bycatch, because they're going after the tuna, just like the fishermen are going after the tuna, right? And so when they're caught, and if they're juveniles or, and they're young, they're, they're not reproducing, then the numbers are definitely going to go down. And that 100 million sharks killed every year, which is what we think is just for shark fins, the number has grown to like 350 million sharks killed every year because the whole shark is now sought after for the liver oil, for the shark steaks. Maybe this is a good point I can say, you know, consumption habits are different all over the world. And I want to make a point that shark fin soup is only eaten in certain parts of the world, 
even in China, most Chinese would not even know the taste of shark fin soup because it is a Southern Chinese, a Cantonese delicacy. And so, you know, my Chinese friends, like my friend is from Northern China and she's never had shark fin soup. So you'd have to go to a Cantonese restaurant in Beijing in order to get shark fin soup. So we have to keep that in perspective. But what is happening in the world is when you look at the different ways that the shark can be consumed now, shark liver oil, squalene, for example, can be put in women's lipstick as an emollient, in women's makeup, right, as their moisturizers. So because of that demand, South Korea, for example, and Indonesia are sort of tied for third in the world for consumption of shark products. Shark fin soup, yes, it started in China, but wealthy Thais, Vietnamese, Cambodians, Indonesians, Malaysians, other non-traditionally ethnically Chinese countries are now consuming shark fin soup because they think it brings them status, right? They're following that pattern. So it's not just a Chinese thing now. So we have third in the world for consumption, Indonesia and South Korea. Then second in the world is, your your listeners won't believe this, is actually Italy. Because Italy has a huge makeup industry, has a huge leather industry. They're master tanners and they're using shark skin for bags and shoes and belts. And um, they have a big food industry. Their F&B industry is famous, right? And they eat shark meat, either like a shark steak, like a tuna steak or a swordfish steak, but they also eat it like ceviche or ceviche. Spain is the same, Portugal, Croatia, Greece, all these countries regularly eat shark. And that demand You know, that demand to get shark, cheap shark meat is pushing the death of the sharks. And the one country that supposedly eats the most shark in the world, and this is told to me by one of the top marine biologists in South America, is Brazil. But I think that is because Brazil has over 220 million people, has a large population. They have population that is tends to be um, poor. There's a, a large part of them that are poor and they need cheaper food. So they eat shark meat. They, they're not eating shark fin soup. I can tell you that. Okay. The shark fins are being cut off and they're being, the shark fins are being sent to say Asia, right? And the rest of the body is being sold to the rest of the world. So you have Brazil, then Italy, then uh, Indonesia, uh, South Korea, you know, and then comes like China kind of thing. Even though 50% of the global shark fin trade is traded right here through Hong Kong, I think still the reality is that the perception is that this is a Chinese problem. And people are not concerned about the destruction of the shark species. And that's what I'm trying to do is educate people that one third of the sharks are now near extinction and we have to change our habits. You know, we look at Dory and we have to, you know, fish are friends, not food kind of thing. So on that, like, what can we then do, you know, all of our crazy birds, what can we do to actually protect our sharks? So crazy birds out there can just do, the first thing they can do is just pledge not to eat shark products or shark fin soup, for example, here in Hong Kong. 
but pledged that they will not eat shark products and they'll be label readers. And they, you know, next time they go for fish and chips, maybe they'll ask them what kind of fish that is. And then maybe they'll even consider a plant-based alternative or something instead. Maybe they can sign a petition. We have a petition on our website asking a restaurant chain to stop selling shark fin in their 88 restaurants in Hong Kong. You could start your own petition. And, um, you know, in the UK, if you get a petition going and it's over 100,000 signatures, it's my understanding that Parliament has to debate the, the issue at hand. And I think that's a great way for action, people to take action and ask for their representatives in their government to take note. I think that, the, you know, get on with board with the message, right? Join our social media. Or join a SART conservation organization that has like them on social media, right? We have educational tours to educate people. We take groups of kids on educational walking tours of the dried shark fin market so that they can understand. And one of the most common things I hear is, wow, I used to live here for like two years. I never even realized that it was like that. We have a shark ambassador education club. Get your school involved. I do Zoom calls with kids overseas, you know, in the U.S. and in Europe. Teachers who know me say, can you Zoom my class? Raise money. Raise not only awareness, but raise money for some of these small charities out there that are trying to raise the educational thought process of these people that you can actually be the change. You can make a difference by just changing your habit. And uh, so these are some of the actions that you can do that will make a difference on a large scale. Oh, that's some great advice. Thank you so much. I think also people should realize that plastic in the ocean has become a big problem. Even though we might be reusing and reducing, it's not enough. I know people try to promote recycling. But recycling is a very challenging, complex way of dealing with something we can do by reusing or reducing before we get to recycling. One of the byproducts of single-use plastics, for example, is microplastics in the ocean. This is a big problem because that microplastic that gets out into the ocean is eaten by every single animal in the ocean, including fish. And the little fish eat it. And sharks have to eat a lot of little fish every day to survive. So we have something called bioaccumulation or biomagnification where sharks as apex predators, and so are swordfish, for example, apex at the top, have to eat a lot. They are eating so much fish and these fish are all containing poisons like lead, mercury, arsenic, arsenic cadmium. The shark eats a lot of little fish and there's a bioaccumulation in the fins and then people, humans are eating that and that's going into your body and that is not good for you to eat high levels of those poisonous properties. So people should be aware that it's not just changing our habits for the sharks, it's changing our habits for the sharks, the ocean and the planet. Exactly living a healthier life and not consuming all of that and making sure that we still have a beautiful ocean that, you know, obviously we depend on for our every second breath that's because of our healthy ocean. So I definitely think, you know, there's 
all round, there's so much that we need to be thankful for the actual remaining sharks that there is and really hope that, or not just hope, actually do something that they will survive and not all go extinct within time. Because yeah, if a third of them are already close to extinction, you know, it's dire, dire situations at the moment. Andrea, what has been one of your most important decisions that you have made around Mama Earth? Quitting my corporate job and working as a volunteer for the Hong Kong Shark Foundation has been the most important thing that I've done for myself. And I think also, I think it has a great knock-on effect for Mother Earth. Mama Earth, I think, you know, we all need to do our part. It's been said that everybody can't do everything, but everyone can do something. And you can be the change and your listeners can be the change. And Mama Earth is the beneficiary of if we have a more sustainable, like we recycle or we we reuse and we reduce before we recycle. I, I think from a sustainability standpoint, we have to become alert that our actions, our actions have consequences, not just within our house or our neighborhood, but around the world. You know, there are people who rely on, who are dependent on the ocean and and for their livelihoods, but all of us are dependent on the ocean for our lives. There's a great movie called Racing Extinction. If you get a chance to watch, it came out about five years ago. And in that movie, they go to a a fishing village in Indonesia and they get the people to stop killing the rays. Um, You know, rays are kind of, the DNA of a ray to a shark is very similar. I, I was told that a ray is like a flat shark kind of, right? And they're even a greater jeopardy than sharks are. And they were killing these rays and selling them. But the rays started disappearing because the numbers were so low, because they were over overfishing them. And they educated the people in that village to become tourists, to attract tourists, to go swimming with the rays. And they flourished after a couple of years. And I think we have to retool ourselves. Just like with ivory, we no longer kill elephants. Well, hopefully not for the ivory so we can make piano keys or mahjong tiles or whatever, we have to also stop killing sharks. And they're just, it's just not a sustainable habit. And we have to get into that habit for Mama Earth. And now we are going to move into our final five. So first one is, what is one social media account or publication that you follow? Well, of course, it must be Hong Kong Shark Foundation where you can find us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, and even Weibo in China. Awesome. And what is your hope for Mama Earth going forward? That people wake up and stop the destruction, especially of our ocean. And Mama Earth Talk, podcasts like this, they help organizations like ours to educate people to make those cognitive changes. And what advice can you give our crazy birds this week to actually help out Mama Earth? Well, as I said, not everybody can do everything, okay? But everybody who listens can just do something a little bit different and make a difference. 
And that thing is say no to shark fin soup and all shark products. And what is one sustainability fact that you like to use in a room with people not yet on a sustainable journey? I've said this before, but I will reiterate this, that we need sharks to maintain that delicate marine ecosystem. Why we get 50% of our air, 50% of our water from the ocean. We need clean oceans. We need sharks, but sharks are at risk. And we have lost 70% of the shark population in the last 50 years. And Sir David Attenborough talks about this in several of his programs that he is famous for now. And sharks are one third near extinction. And I really feel that people need to step up. It's their ocean. We're just swimming in it. And I hope that people will understand the importance of sharks, that they're not that scary. You know, really sharks, there's really only three sharks that are really aggressive, great whites, bull sharks, and tiger sharks. And the rest of the sharks, you know, they're pretty happy to have you be in the ocean with them. And, um, and they're beautiful, majestic creatures. Oh, I love that. And where can people actually find you? Well, we can be found, of course, on our website, uh, which is hksharkfoundation.org. But we're on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter, as I said. And it's just Hong Kong Shark Foundation. Awesome. And we will link that all up for our crazy birds in our show notes so you can easily find you guys there. Thank you so much for being such an amazing guest on the podcast and sharing your wonderful story with us. And also that hopefully some of our crazy birds can take some action and make sure that we actually have more sharks in our oceans. Thank you. It's been a great experience and, and, and I hope you will understand and your listeners will understand a little bit better about how cool sharks are, but how they are important they are to all of us on the planet. Exactly. Thank you so much. And that's a wrap. Huge thank you for our amazing guest for being on the podcast and for sharing their journey with us. You can find the show notes of this episode on the MamaEarthTalk.com's website. The biggest thank you goes out to all of you crazy birds for listening to the podcast. If you have not already listened to all of the episodes, you can go back to a few of them. You will absolutely love them. I really enjoyed recording every single one of them. And I really hope that you enjoy listening to them. There's over a hundred episodes. So if you feel a little bit lost on which one to listen to next, maybe select one of the episodes with guests that you might want to know more of and start from there. If you enjoy the episodes, why not tell a friend about the podcast and maybe share an episode with them? Let them know that we are here and we are waiting for them with open arms And they are all very welcome to join the crazy birds globally. If you have a question for me, please send them over. The best way to get in contact with me would probably be a DM on Instagram. You can either send it to my personal, which is at Zero Waste Mariska, or the podcast, which is at Mama Earth Talk. Or send me an email at hello at mamaearthtalk.com. If there's a particular guest or topic that you would like to hear on the podcast, let me know. 
I love to hear from all you crazy birds. New episodes are uploaded every second Monday, so make sure to subscribe that you do not miss a thing. Mama Earth has a voice, and it's us crazy birds.